Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. TheFireStore.com, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can make the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at TheFireStore.com and shop our deals page. Good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, depending on wherever or whenever you're listening. I will once again start with gratitude and thank everybody for turning into the Perspectives on Leadership podcast brought to you by Fire Engineering. My name is Steve Shaw. I'm proud to be an assistant chief with Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue. I'm also honored to be part of the fire engineering family as an author, as a presenter at FBIC, and as a host for this podcast. You all have a plethora of choices of which podcast to digest these days, and I'm truly honored that you're choosing to listen to this one. Chief Halton told me years ago that FDIC was a tactics conference, not just with firefighting, but with, with all things, leadership, training, mentorship, et cetera. And then no matter what we taught or presented or spoke on, including today's conversation, we should be focused on tactical ways for our listeners or readers to model or deploy these ideals in the real world. In that spirit and in his honor, I will continue to focus on the tactics as well as the concepts during this podcast. Perspective is my passion. In my personal journey as a student of leadership, I continue to be fascinated by how perspectives affect our ability to lead. The goal for this podcast is the same as it was on day one, to take an idea or a concept or trait that we associate with leadership and take a deep dive down that rabbit hole. There are so many amazing leaders within our fire service. I want to make sure to pick their brains and allow them to provide as many tactical, immediately deployable takeaways as possible to the listener. I'm forever grateful to Fire Enduring and to Chief Alton for allowing me to have this platform. And I'm also thankful to my organization, Fort Lauderdale Fire, to allow me to do my part in passing it on to my brothers and sisters in the fire service. So about this time last year in December, I was I joined several members of the ISFSI on our monthly hump day hangout podcast, where we discuss recruitment and retaining firefighters. I brought with me at the time, Battalion Chief Garrett Pingle, who during that time frame is over professional development, hiring and special projects for our agency. At the time, at the end of the, the very lively podcast, uh, Chief Halton challenged Garrett to write an article on all the things that we were discussing during that time, during the podcast. Well, he took it up. He took him up on that challenge and wrote an article a very short uh, while after that. Um, shortly after that podcast, uh, Chief Halton passed away. And that was almost a, a year ago at this point. So as I reflect on this year and as I, I kind of watched that previous episode from last year with Smile, I thought it would be fitting to end this year by having Garrett back on the podcast and highlight Garrett's article that he created at Chief Alton's request uh, that'll be out this month uh, in the December issue of Fire Engineering Magazine. I'm excited because this is the first time of actually interviewing somebody from my own agency one-on-one. And although I love you know, having people from across the country in the podcast, I believe that Garrett's article hits a nerve. And he's one of the few people uh, amongst a group of people in our, my organization who has been instrumental in improving our hiring practices and making the experience much more efficient and increase the caliber of the employees that we hire. So 
So I'm confident that this is going to be a great informational discussion for all those of you that are having the same troubles out there that we are. Uh, we're all in this boat together. And also allow our agency, when they're listening to this, to see what we are doing internally to try to get the best individuals possible into our organization and family. So we definitely encourage you to follow up afterwards with me or Chief Pingle. Um, if there's any ways you want to reach out and continue this dialogue, this is going to be a, a, a good discussion. So I'm happy to introduce Garrett Pingle. He's a 24-year veteran of Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue and is currently serving as the Deputy Chief of Operations and the Executive Officer for the Fire Chief. He's worked in operations, training, and administration. Chief Pingle is Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue's Chief of Communications and oversees a multitude of administrative projects. He has a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership and a master's degree in business administration. He's a live fire instructor three, fire officer two, and a, and a CFO with the uh, Center of Public Safety Excellence. Excellence. Um, I've worked with Garrett uh, through my 24 years here. We've been uh, hand in hand in a bunch of different agencies and bureaus and, and committees and talked together. So I I'm really looking forward to this. And as I was preparing for this, there was a few things on my mind. There's, so basically, there's three things on my mind that I was thinking of as we were putting this together. First of all, is the talent within our agencies. In every organization, each agency out there has some rock stars within their respective organizations. And it doesn't matter where you're from or the scope and size of your department. Um, I, I really got to see this the last few years as the EMS chief during COVID. And I can remember relying on and just needing people from all over the scope of practice across our, uh, not only the, the, the region, but the state and the country. And the people that I was reaching out to were from all different size departments, large and small. I can sit here and do podcast after podcast of the people within my organization. You know, both Garrett and I are very Fort Lauderdale centric, but if I, we represent a microcosm of the immense scope of talent that is out there in all the organizations, man, the fire service is full of amazing people. So anyway, um, the other thing I was thinking of is um, the idea of one idea, but different voices. Uh, there's been numerous classes and seminars and articles written on this topic. And today that's going to be recruitment and retention and hiring. And that's great. And that's the point. We learn in different ways. And there are times where we need to hear things from different perspectives or people with different perspectives. And I say this because whether we're talking about tactics and strategies in the fire ground or something higher level like we're discussing today, the more people focusing on it and the more perspectives we have on that given idea may make it that much more relatable to people from across the board. So just because you think something's been done doesn't mean the way you're going to do it won't be heard by people who need to hear it in a different ways, what I'm trying to say. The last thing I'll say is uh, I was thinking about the, the idea of confidants and allies. I recently began the uh, EFO program through the National Fire Academy, and one of the topics in the class was a discussion on the importance of having confidants and allies. So for me, Garrett is that, that confidant. He is someone I can confide with, bounce ideas off of, uh, get alternative perspectives. I often call, I often call him the, uh, the king of analogies because he's really good at giving you a perspective on things to where you go, oh, that's what that means. That's his, that's his superpower. Uh, and as we approach the end of the year, it had me reflecting on all the various relationships that the fire service helps us build through the course of a career. And I think that we should be very thankful for those individuals, those relationships, and make sure that at the end of the year, and, and more, more than not, to reach out and say thank you for those, those, um, those relationships. So anyway, so Chief Pingle, thank you so much for being on today. I am very much looking forward for this conversation. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Appreciate the warm welcome. Uh, I think we covered it all. We're good. Yeah, we can go, go back to work now. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and gratitude back to you, Chief Shaw. I appreciate all you do for the organization and um, our friendship, professional relationship, personal relationship. Um, 
you know, it's easy to come to work when you have good people around you. So I, I appreciate you and all you do. Well, man, listen, I, I think this is, this is going to be a good conversation because we were talking about this before we started the, the, the recording today, but uh, just as a reminder for everybody, last year we did record a podcast with Chief Halton. I think it was one of, if not the last podcast he did through Fire Engineering. And um, it was a great conversation. I brought Garrett on to talk about recruitment and retention and retaining firefighters. And, you know, Halton was, was at his best, man, just being who he was and challenging us. And he challenged Chief Pingle to, to write an article. So uh, the article that Chief Pingle wrote, uh, Recruitment, Hiring and Retention, is going to come out this month in December 2023. I really wanted to get a jump on that, um, but more so, I wanted to do this because just the timing is right, you know. And uh, with Chief Halton passing, or the anniversary of Chief Halton passing away coming up in uh, a couple weeks, uh, it seemed right to do this. Um, I have to thank you for taking up his challenge and then doing this. But as I'm going through the article, it just had me reflecting on that last conversation we had. So um, it, it's coming out pretty soon. So let me, in all truthfulness, how long did it take you to write this article? Um, don't hate me. It took me about an hour and a half. I asked that because that, that isn't that the way it is. Once you're inspired to do yeah. something, it just flows. <laughs> I, I think, I think that was the case. You know, I, I wouldn't say I wrote an hour and a half later that day. We, uh, we finished the podcast and, you know, he berated me a little further after we concluded about the importance of putting the message we spoke about onto paper. And uh, it just so happened that that weekend I happened to be out of town for my for my daughter for a volleyball tournament. And I had an hour or two in the hotel downtime. And it just it flowed because it was something that was organic. It's 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 easy to write about something you're actively doing and believe in. So, yeah, I did it between uh, lunch and her third volleyball match of the day, I think, in the hotel room in about an hour and a half. That, that, I, but I've heard that that. Uh... I guess comment or I've heard that story multiple times. I, I seem that seems to be a, a trend. I, it's a it's a common theme. In other words, whether you're challenged by somebody, whether you're you're you, you just have that spur of creativity, whatever the case. Some of the best articles, some of the greatest pieces of, of of things that we see out there happen on that on that whim where you just have that motivation and boom, you create it. So, um, so I, I'm looking through the article and, and since you first drafted the article, which has almost been a year now, so is anything changed? In other words, we're going to talk a little bit about the recruitment, the hiring, and then the retention piece. But since you wrote it up until today, is there anything that has changed or something you wish you'd focused on more of now that you're kind of rereading the article before it's published? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot's changed. I do think that the learning has continued since then. What was really refreshing is a lot that we talked about was initial concepts we had just put into play. It was different ideas, thinking outside the box. And we came up with the ideas pretty simply. We said to ourselves, what are the current challenges? What are the current successes? And what is the current pool? And just put all that together in a pile. And that's how we kind of came up with some of the ideas to be more innovative. So back then, our, our biggest challenge back then was how do you not only get the max number of candidates in the process, but then process them fast enough to get them before somebody else does in a very highly competitive South Florida market? So we tackled that. And then once we addressed those issues, we then had the ability to move beyond. So since the article, we've obviously grown further. We've even changed the process more and found innovative ways to broaden the pool. Like Back then, we were trying to maximize not only the casting net, of candidates, but 
the speed of them. And when we thought we had it dialed in, we found a new way to tweak it even further. Uh, we ended up going third-party company. And that's something I did not include in the article was to really open up your eyes to what potential third-party outside vendors could provide. And I don't think I really hit that because we were living under the world of a very tight human resource division at the time. And I'm sure that's the common world for most fire rescue agencies is there's there's that that hold on that the HR divisions have. And there's an uncomfortableness of opening up to a private third party uh, based upon some relationships we built here and having a new talent director come into the city. We were able to pitch the concept, uh, me and Chief Bodding, who's also up here with us, we pitched the concept of farming out a certain portion of the process, which gave us a nationwide net and expedited us even another six to 10 weeks in the whole process. And lo and behold, it was approved. And we're the first department in Florida to use this, this concept. And we had tremendous success. So I would say that's one thing that's changed is looking at the possibility of interfacing with third-party private industry to make your governmental process go faster. Yeah, you know, you bring up a, good, a couple of good points there. And the fact that uh, even in the short time frame since you drafted that article and up to today, there's still a lot of learning taking place. It's nonstop. It's fast moving. Uh, whether you want to call it pivoting or adjusting or, or thinking outside the box, we're constantly learning. And then I think that you have to in this market. So I'm glad that you you went over that, especially with the third party and the outsourcing and experimenting with that. I think that a lot of people uh, are at least aware of that being out there. And uh, maybe this drives them to look into it as well, based on, you know, people like us and our successes with it. So in the first part, and, and I do want to give credit to other people. You mentioned uh, uh, Chief Botting, and, and, and you, yeah, you're one of many. You know, to make this work, it takes a village between the support of the fire chief and Chief Golan, between Chief Botting yourself, between a lot of people working together with that collaboration with HR, with the collaboration with people doing background checks like PD. It takes a village. So you're definitely one person amongst many rock stars that are making this happen. And I think that before we go on to the next question, it does take a team. It takes multiple people working together as, as cohesively as possible to make this work. Um, in the first part of your article, you mentioned the need, and I'm trying to uh, quote this from here, to educate and excite our community about the fire service and why they should work for you. So I'd like to unpack that a little bit and talk about some tactical ways to deploy that. So when, when you think about that way, in other words, educate and excite the community, what does that look like? So it's twofold. So first off, you want a community that's excited about the organization and the service it provides and the people within that service for, I believe, a multitude of reasons. So I can't tell you how many times there's there's been an interaction with a civilian or someone in our community. And after the positive interaction, they say, you know what? My friend has a kid who's in the fire academy right now. I bet they'd be a great fit for you. And that conversation sparked simply because we had a positive interaction with the community. We put our best foot forward. We took the time to communicate and to express what type of services we offer. And then that civilian kind of put two and two together going, well, those qualities and values and those initiatives that you all carry match exactly how my friend raised their child, uh, which also brings forward the recommendation, I think, of, of very highly qualified or, or fitting people. The second thing is you never know who in your community is actively in those learning processes themselves. So by 
putting your best foot forward, being out there and being present in community interactions and engagements, it it's almost like a recruiting campaign where you're putting your money where your mouth is. People are actually seeing the organization they're going to set up for. We can advertise, we can put out there whatever image we want in the static environment, and that's great. But with any advertising platform, when you see a product on TV, that that's static advertisement. And the the vendor or the the product's manufacturer totally controls the narrative. When the public sees us out there interacting and doing our job, quickly making good decisions, mitigating emergencies, providing services, that's a dynamic advertisement opportunity in my eyes, where you can't fake it out there. You can fake it all day long in pictures and articles and an advertisement you pay for. But when someone calls 911 and we go down the road and we execute our job perfectly, I do think that that dynamic advertisement goes further. It's kind of like when you you go to a restaurant and you have poor service, you know, you tell 10 people about it. If you have good service, you tell two. Well, that happens with us. So the more good service we put out there, at least we know we're broadening that because we all know that the one bad service can put a bad taste out there. So, you know, luckily that doesn't happen too often for us. And that's kind of what I mean is, is, is get people excited in your community about you so they tell people about you and you never know who it brings to your application pool. I, I love that, that analogy of the static versus dynamic advertising. I think that that reminds me that we are always advertising, that we're always on the road, we're always running calls, and every one of those opportunities, whether at an event, at an incident, or whatever, uh, it is that opportunity. And that's that's powerful. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Um, I, I was reading through the article, and you mentioned a few things um, in terms of tactical ways to deploy that, whether it's a touch-a-truck event, uh, school demos, the fire explorers and the cadet programs. Um, I know that um, our, our emergency manager, Chief Razor, is doing amazing with our cadet program, our, our fire explorer program, um, probably the most attended program that we've had in a long time. Um, and you also mentioned getting into the high schools and the collegiate athlete programs. Um, the last thing you mentioned was social media, and I think you kind of alluded that to the static and dynamic, but what are ways that we're using social media to our best benefit these days? So it's funny. That's that's a good question. This last hiring process we went through, the fire chief and I had quite a few discussions on how we were gonna gonna attack the the social media side. You know, it's one thing to just put up there we're hiring on social media, have a real exciting picture of you know a firefighter hanging off of a building. That's all great. Um, our fire chief has a, a degree in marketing, and uh, he's very good at it. So. He was like, listen, you, you can't just give them the whole puzzle on day one. Let's let's string them along. And it was a unique concept that I hadn't considered. So what we actually started doing about two and a half months before we were actually going to even post that it was going to be actually open, we just started dropping these hints, you know, uh, just a, a, on social media, on Facebook, a big red tile that said, big news coming soon. Don't you want to know or something like that? And we just let it sit for a week. You know, and then another week later, it was, um, what's your guess on what's happening next? And that sat for a week. And then we we're, of course, putting in other stuff like pictures from calls, promotions that have occurred, you know, and then it said, um, you know, our next one was something like on the lines of, uh, are you ready for a great opportunity on a big red tile? And that's all it was. 
<laughs> and then eventually we finally said, did you figure it out for auto fryer rescues hiring in January of 2020, whatever, you know, and, and that was the big thing. And I can, I can tell you that it worked because our people that are own organization follow our social media page. And I rarely would get, you know, stuff from them. I mean, one of the other hats I wear that you didn't mention was obviously the PIO, which I'm still handling that for us. So that is social media. So I put stuff up and, Rarely would I get a text message, but I know people are following. And as soon as I started doing that, my phone was nonstop by people who work here. What's going on? What's happening? What do you mean? <laughs> so if they're asking that, imagine what the public's doing. So the idea was, you know, get people wanting to come back so that the minute it posted, we remove the lag. You know, it's if we don't post anything for three weeks and we post that we're hiring starting next week, there's a lag and a lot of our customers are not going to see that post. But by mm -hmm. building excitement and making people wanting to check in on a regular basis, waiting for the answer, we, we on the front end eliminated the lag for the advertisement. So that was a unique marketing idea that I think we used for social media. I would imagine it, it made a difference. I mean, we had some good numbers with that process. Yeah, I was, uh, I was talking to the, the PIO from Coral Springs, a neighboring uh, a city from us recently. And I think it was last year when he said to me, he's like, Steve, I got to start a TikTok, a TikTok account. I don't want to start a TikTok account. I have to start a TikTok account with the, and it just relay the importance of making sure you're using all the available channels, whether it's Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, but that that's the, the norm these days. That's it. It's almost expected, but it's one of those things that, you know, when, and, and talking to the people, the listeners out there. Are you maximizing your, your social media presence? Are you using the channels that every person that's newer to the fire service, you know, considering generational challenges, is using on the daily, on the absolute daily? Are we using everything to our advantage to showcase what we're doing? And that's every department showcasing what they do best. So I'm glad you, you covered that because that's something we seem to be doing very well and it's got a lot of positive responses back to us. You know, um, and one thing on that to add to that, to wrap up, you talk about TikTok. I also think it's important. And, you know, we, we've talked about starting our own TikTok page, um, being prepared to capture the opportunities social media presents at a give, any given moment can only happen if you have all the platforms. So I'm sure a lot of people in the fire service had seen, you know, our TikTok craze where the, the latter company had carried a woman in a wheelchair up 14 flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the woman we helped had put up this TikTok video that went viral within 12 hours. And within a matter of week had, you know, 1.9 million views or something insane yeah. to the point that we just did a national syndicate special on those people. Six months later, we didn't have a TikTok page. So when that went viral, our name on that platform was unattached and we missed an enormous opportunity to to just go through the roof and basically a free promotion of the organization. Of course, we linked it as best we could to Facebook and such, but unfortunately, you know, we missed out on that. And uh, that's something I sure wish I, I could change. You know, City of Miami has an amazing TikTok page and it's, it's, it's fresh and it's short and it shows the service. If they ran that same call, it's instant nationwide notoriety and millions of followers and they did nothing but had the platform ready. So... Um, I think there's something to be said about being ready for an opportunity when it comes, because if you're not ready that, that day, then it's gone in social media the very next day. 
All right, so let's uh, go with the article as we uh, go into the next portion of this in terms of hiring practices. So uh, let's dive into what uh, we've done or you guys and the team have done in terms of our hiring practice over the last couple of years. So what has worked to make this more efficient? I know that, um, you know, from the other side of it, from the training side, we obviously benefit from all the work that's been put in there because we're getting the applicants. We're getting classes on time. We're not losing applicants to other departments like we once did. So what does that look like? What What is working in terms of the way we hire? So I think it's two components, what works to get the numbers and then what works to find the quality out of the numbers. I think that's important. So the first component is you have to get the numbers. You have to have the largest net possible. Back when we, we talked about that article last year, we had talked about how I'd found ways to increase statewide recruitment uh, and make it as easy as possible for somebody sitting in a firehouse across the state who didn't know until that moment in time that for Auto might be a fit. So we all obviously fight for the certified firefighters that are trying to get into the profession for the first time, you know, the, the, the non-experienced pool. But the numbers are dwindling and you have to start looking, unfortunately, for people that already are on the job that are looking for different opportunities. Well, for somebody who wasn't expecting a February opportunity for a huge agency across the state that really checks their boxes, if you put too much lifting on the front end of that opportunity, you eliminate them. So our old processes required all these things to be submitted just to be considered. One huge thing we did to increase the net and make it easier for applicants was, what is the absolute minimum things you must submit to get into the process? And then while we're processing you and you're taking the written examination and such, you can take those 45 to 60 days to get us things like driving records or get us a PAT or things that really don't matter off the bat. They, they only matter before we're going to make a decision to move you forward into things like backgrounds or second interviews. So that was hugely important. By doing that, we kept our numbers very high compared to other organizations. We saw statewide recruitment being more possible. And then with our latest process to increase the, the net, we've gone to a full virtual platform. So now a candidate across the entire nation can apply to us online. They can take the written examination online, proctored online at any time of day that works for them. That's huge. When you are considering you may be trying to recruit firefighters who work across the state where they work a two on three off or different crazy schedules, you're only offering a test five days out of the whole month. They may go, you know what? It's just not meant to be. Uh, I'd have to get a swap on this day and drive nine hours and get a hotel and all these things just to be considered. We took that out of play. Uh, we even went as far as the interview process is virtual. So a candidate now knows that they can apply, be tested, be interview assessed, be scored, make a, a preliminary ranking list and then drive to the city for the very first time for a second interview in person to be considered. So they know that if they're coming down to us, there's a strong chance that they're being considered for employment versus coming down two times, if not three, just to get on a list. That's a big lift for somebody many hours away who already has a job. Or somebody who lives in an area where multiple agencies are hiring and they're trying to get their first foot in the door well, heck, if I got five opportunities here, do I need the sixth one five hours away? So that was a way to increase initial numbers. Now the challenge is how do you sort through 
all this surplus of numbers that you've brought. And the big thing there is a very, very in-depth, pointed, forward, in-person interview. You're going to have 45 minutes at most to determine if you want to buy the cow. And it's important to, to not be afraid to ask the questions and to put the effort into some research before they come in have their applications, do some cross-referencing, have HR in the interview with you. Use them as a team. Um, if you see something on a, on an application that you think you need to ask about, but you're not sure you can ask about, you want to have that answer on the spot. You know, use HR as an advisor, as a confidant, as a, as a tool to push the barrier as to how pointed your interview can be. By doing that, you are protecting your organization's brand and your organization's ability to, to provide a service. And now you're not investing in people that aren't going to make it through training or probation. And the smaller the, smaller the group you're hiring because of the size of your agency, it's even more imperative to make wise, wise decisions. And it isn't always the person that was recommended by someone that works with you. I will give that one little piece of advice before you go to the next question, and that is, not everybody that's recommended to you was fully transparent to the person who recommended them. And that's something to remember. Definitely uh, take your word on that from your background. Um, no, you, you mentioned a bunch of things in terms of, and I like in the article, you mentioned the gauntlet of information submissions. In other words, this is truly, and most of the time it's a gauntlet to get through. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things. And having, you know, you and I having applied in the past, you think, did I get everything? Oh my gosh, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I forget something? So the fact that you're streamlining it, that you're taking away a lot of that and you're making it that much more easier for them to, to get that initial uh, things being done is, is phenomenal. And obviously well, it's worked for us. Well, and, um, and you're right. That, that used to be an assessment point. Like who doesn't want this job bad enough to get things turned in right because there were so many candidates we had to find some way to not only thin the herd but use every bit of the process as a qualifier like miami dade years and years ago if you put the wrong color ink on the application you were done on the spot mm -hmm. when you have five thousand applicants you can use following directions as your first qualifier when you have 30 applicants for 10 spots you know, we have to say, okay, well, do we really want to make one technicality drop our list from 30 to seven when we're hiring 10? Oh, yeah. That's the challenge. I think there's two things that speak to me of, of this last conversation we had, and that's the fit. You mentioned the fit for Fort Lauderdale Fire. And that drives me to just remind, it reminds me that it's kind of a buyer's market out there right now. There's so many departments hiring. There's so many departments that are accepting applications. And there's so many departments that, like in our area, for example, have I'm using this word carefully, but I've not dropped the standards, but have, let's say, lessened some of the restrictions to get hired. Let's say not requiring paramedic and maybe hiring an EMT, but you have to get your paramedic in a certain time frame. But it seems like for the most part, as there's these candidates out there, they have their pick of where they want to go. So it's an importance for us, as you mentioned, to take the time to do the research and to get HR involved and to take the time for that face-to-face -face interview. It's also a reminder to the people out there that you have to do your own research. Is this what you want to do? Is this the place you want to work? There's so many, even in our area. And if we're, again, if we're a small microcosm of the rest of the country, 
people can choose where they want to go. Do they want to go to a very busy, very aggressive like a department like ours? Or do they maybe want to go to a small town department where it's a little bit less maybe stressful and there's different different dynamics over there? Not good or bad, just different. So it's really important for the candidates to really do their due diligence. Um, you know, in, in working with you in training for years, you know, I, it's, it's, it's frustrating when somebody comes on board and realizes, oh, man, this is not what I expected. Oh, my gosh, I did not expect it to be this. So I know that we do a really good job of making sure people are aware, whether it's from, from the... From the first time they look at us all the way up until we're interviewing them, hey, this is what you should expect. It, it's very important that it's in the intention, intentionality, making sure they know what they're getting involved with. Um, but yeah, I, I do resonate with that idea for the fit. You know, where, where do you want to work? You have the option and you, you need to make that decision as well as we do. But I, I do, I do uh, really, as I'm looking at the last part, which is in terms of taking the time, when you finally get them in front of you, taking the time, asking the questions, really diving deep. Because now is now is the time where you're potentially going to offer them a job. So I'm glad you went over that because that's something definitely we're still learning from, obviously, too. So the, the fruits of our labor, even right now, yeah, they're, they're readily available to what we're seeing in the field. But it's going to take time to fully grasp, OK, how is this working? How has this changed from what we traditionally have done? So um, so the last part of your, your article focuses on retention. And this is something that I'm heavily focused on as I start working with you more for professional development on that side. So it, it, I'll ask this in two ways. What are some ways that we can retain our firefighters, our new firefighters, to want to stay that you found or you heard in our conversations? And later on, the second part of this is how do we retain our firefighters to want to remain engaged? So two-part question. I think purpose is important. You know, fortunately for our agency, you know, we're, we're fairly compensated around, around the region. You know, compensation is always a driver. Workload's a driver. But I think prioritizing what what our job is here, clear, defined direction is what our what our purpose and mission is, giving people something to believe in. I, I, when you talk about retention, I think it does directly relate to leadership within the organization at all levels, even most at the company officer level and probably the battalion chief level in your organization. I, I think that's the crux of all success and failures within our organization or anyone is what message, what support, what drive, what narrative is being carried out by the company officer and the battalion chief in the organization? If, if the attitude and if the belief of what we're doing is grander, truly grander than one person like we preach, that's currency. And I've always used the analogy that U.S. dollars is a form of currency, but in the fire service, firefighters offer currency in so many different ways, even the newer generation. Time off, feeling rewarded at work, opportunity for promotion, opportunity for different types of earnings and compensations, being a part of something bigger than them. If everybody's well-informed of all the different forms of currency that your organization has, and they're actually seeing it, and it's not just lip service, that helps retention. People generally don't leave a job where they're feeling satisfied and they feel that gratitude is brought toward them for the performance they're doing and they feel compelled to give gratitude to others. People leave a job when they're unhappy. Now, happiness can partially be driven by compensation, but I, I, I do believe it's one component. 
you know, there are plenty of professional career firefighters out there that work for agencies that don't pay a lot, but they feel so rewarded with what they do. They just work the second job instead of transferring to the larger county down the road where they're just a number or where they don't believe in the mission that they're doing. So to me, retention is totally driven to communication, people feeling important, that they have an opportunity for growth, and that they believe over their 32-year career, they'll always have an opportunity to do something new or something that fulfills them. If they feel they're in a box, if they feel they've been forgotten, you know, the, if they feel they're sitting in the land of misfit toys, then no, that's not going to lead to good retention because the grass is always greener until you get there, right? Well, someone is going to truly want to see if the grass is greener if the grass are standing on is brown. <laughs> there's your analogy for the conversation. There's my there's the analogy that I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's important in terms of which then communication and that belief. And I think that stems right from the beginning, from the hiring process, all the way through the beginning when we do the, our training, our initial training, whether it's our training, whether it's another fire department or fire rescue agency's training, that initial uh, implementation over the course of their training academy over that first year. Um, and then, you know, that transition on to the rest of their career. And I'm, I'm happy to be working with you in that professional development um, uh, arena, thinking about, you know, under training in EMS, what do we do to continue people wanting to do the job at the highest level possible? How do we make them feel like they're rewarded and they're getting value out of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis? Because, you know, we, like many departments, are very, very busy. And it's easy to, to not see the forest through the trees and get lost in the everything from the, the multiple calls, being up all night, to the mandatories, to what have you. So there's a lot there. And that retention piece does trickle on into the job itself in terms of the, the long-term health and culture of the position after their first year. And, um, you know, that's something we're working on right now in terms of what does that look like, you know, for professional development, whether it's geo officers, for the firefighter, for the paramedics, you know, for everybody. And like you said, you mentioned it before, the ability to do something different, the ability to diversify and get involved in things through a course of a career. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad we're talking about that because in terms of retention, a lot of what we're talking about during that first year can be applied through the course of a career in different ways. Um, so one of those things you mentioned in the article and this part of that retention is the mentoring. So I, I do want to talk about mentoring for a little bit because no matter where I go, this is sort of a buzzword. Uh, I mentioned before, even with the EFO program in right now, it was a topic of conversation in our first class. And it was interesting because of the group of people I was with, some, very few, some had a, a mentoring program, but many do not. So let's talk about that for a second. I mean, oh, this this topic could probably be its own conversation for more than an hour. But for you, how important is it for an organization to have some sort of a mentoring program in today's fire service? It, it's definitely important. So you talk about retention, bring it back to that. If you want to ensure that someone you just invested five months in a recruitment process and 10 weeks in an onboarding training academy, who's been on shift for five shifts, doesn't jump elsewhere because they were in the process with them as well when they came on with us, they need a mentor. They need someone who they can reach out to and go, hey, I'm not going to ask my captain today. I'm not going to ask the guy I am happen to be working with today in the firehouse. But I just got this opportunity at, you know, Brownsville Fire Rescue down the street and you know, I hear they're great and we're good here, but, you know, I, I don't know what to do. 
you know, we're dealing with a lot of first generation firefighters more and more than ever, which is an amazing thing. We need that or the fire service will not survive. We, we should. And that's how you bring in diversity and, and difference in ideas. Lots of first generation firefighters because you're breaking the norm. Well, they also don't know who to talk to. So mentors are important on the retention component in that first year, I believe, because it helps sharpen their lens as to why your organization is a fit for them. But then the mentorship also gives them a solid foundation. So if and when they do decide to stay, they know where to go on day 366. Because on day 363, it's rag in the back pocket, make sure the truck is clean, do your station duties. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And that's your role. Well, what happens on day 366? Okay, you made it. You're off probation. And now what? Where do I go next? Where's the mentor telling them, don't stop being in the books? You just spent a whole year learning these books inside out. You're better off having a maintenance plan on the information. So you're ready for your first promotional exam in two or three years because you want to drive the rig versus for the next two or three years, dialing it in, letting the books get buried, and then kind of meandering down the road and all of a sudden going, oh, seven years later, I never, I never took a promotional test. And now you have some career, career dissatisfaction. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I've seen throughout my entire career is you have the firefighter who's been here for 15 to 20 years and they're disgruntled. And you ask them, well, why are you disgruntled? Well, you know, I just... I've been a driver all this time and I just feel like I don't have any value here. X, Y, well, did you ever try and promote? No, I didn't then, or I did now. And it didn't work out. And the the last chief had it out for me, you know, well, that person probably would have benefited from a mentor along their way. No, I'm, I'm really glad you you went there. I think that, you know, as I'm helping and now I'm coming on board with the professional development side of things and focusing on that mentorship. um, You know, I, Having been a mentor in different organizations and in, in, in the collegiate environment as well, I, I've been. We had this conversation last week somewhere with another group of, of, of firefighters, and I was mentioning. I'm like, at this point in in the fire service, it's it's not like a good idea. It's almost essential to have this kind of program. With all that we're asking our people to do these days, to have them not only do well in their first year and to pass their tests and to get that past that first year, but to make sure that they're set up for success going forward. It's it's essential to have that person to the lay on to the lean on that is. So I'm glad you 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 went there. I think that for those organizations out there that are listening that are looking into mentorship, start having that conversation with those that are around you that are trying it. Um, whether you're reaching out to us or whoever, it's it's important and if done the right way. And even now, I'm in the process of assessing our mentorship program. I'm surveying it, I'm meeting with Chief Pingle and several other chiefs to talk to the mentors to pick their brains over the last year or two and say, hey, what has worked? What were your pros? What are your cons? And remember that mentorship is, it's bi-directional. It's supposed to be very beneficial for the men- mentee, but at the same time, it's very beneficial for the mentor, which like you were saying, Chief Pinkle, in terms of the people that we have out there that are mentors, whether maybe they are that 5, 10, 15 year person, that's one of those ways they can get something out of the job that maybe if that person, like you mentioned, the static driver, whoever it is, that's one way for them to maybe find some re-energization or re-ener- Am I saying that right? Re-energization? Did I just make up a word? Maybe. I don't know. But to re-energize. Yeah, I, think you did. I think I did. Maybe. Um, but that's an opportunity too. So not only is the mentorship program good for those that are coming into the job, but it can be a conduit for those that have been on for a while to give them a little boost. So I think there's a lot to the mentorship programs. I think that 
you know, again, this could be another talk for a whole another day, but I'm glad we were at least touching on that. Um, so, you know, like I said before, this, this article, it was good. It was a good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, an answer to a call, you know, in terms of like Chief Halton challenge you with that and you basically making good on it in a very short time frame. Uh, I definitely think he would be proud if he was reading this and, um, I'm glad that this came to fruition. So, um, I'm looking forward to having people have exposures that when the next, uh, issue of fire engineering comes out. But as we kind of start get on the wrap up of this podcast, I want to ask you some general questions that I usually pose to a lot of the people when I want to have them on here. So Chief Halton reminded me that conferences like FDIC and some other places, it's all about tactical takeaways, um, regardless of the content. And that's what we're talking about today. So in terms of practical ways to uh, enhance our knowledge on what we're talking about today, what would you suggest to people out there, like in the organizations from top to bottom that they could do to Kind of just do the, some of the things that we've done, enhance the way they're doing recruitment, retention, and hiring. What are your thoughts? Well, you have to, if we're talking about the, the recruitment and the hiring portion first before we get into the retention, it, you have to have a relationship with human resources. You have to mm-hmm. understand their comfort level of trying new things. And, you know, especially if you're new in recruitment for your organization and you're dealing with somebody who's been in HR for many, many years, don't disqualify. They may have already had some really good ideas that previous leaderships shot down. So first off, collaborate with human resources, determine their comfort level and make it very clear what your needs are. You know, I think the needs for today for fire service recruiting and hiring is we need bigger numbers to ensure we get the highest quality and meet our needs. Because if we don't meet our needs in regards to the numbers that we hire and we're always falling short, that's going to lead to firefighter dissatisfaction. That's going to lead to career dissatisfaction because they're working mandatory overtimes and they're working all these double shifts and they're not with their families. And they're going to look for the different agency who's going to offer that solution to their current climate issue. So you have to have a good relationship with them. I think you have to be honest with yourself and determine is your organization's brand and what it's putting out attractive or non-attractive to those in your area from from other organizations because also the organizations around you are competing against you as well don't give them a reason to tell a candidate in interview process that place down the street ain't for you don't go there they've been browning out trucks they had this whole budget issue last year you should hear these chiefs at the at the at the monthly chief meeting all the problems they deal with you better make sure you're putting out sunshines and rainbows but it's actually real because fake is fake and it's going to be exposed. And if you want the premium candidates, you better be showing that you're the premium organization with the tools given. Everybody knows it's, it's, it's public service government and it's all cyclical in what an organization has in regards to staffing, benefits, compensation, new initiatives. It's all cyclical based off election cycles and budget years. And is it a new city manager versus one that's been here for a while? That's all cyclical. But if the constant trend is forward and upward and that you do the most of what you have, that's an amazing recruiting tool. I firmly believe from the 24 years that I've been here now with you, Chief Shaw, that our trend has always been up. Has it been up as fast as other organizations? No, not always. Has it gone down like other organizations? No. There's always been a steady drive and just that incremental movements forward and forward. And people notice that. And I think that's why people think we're one of the elite organizations in our area. So that's important. And I think a solid recruitment process 
where people come here for the right reason and you treat them like a valued person before they even start, that rolls into your first phase of retention. It's hard for someone to leave an organization when they've been here for three months and they go, man, you know, the, they really cared about me the whole process. They always communicated with me. They kept me informed. I felt like I was never in the dark. They, they, those are important things. And, and Chief Bodden, who's taken the hiring process from me, has has taken that even to a whole new level where I, I check in on these people like every four to eight weeks. I think she's calling them like every week, like, what'd you have for lunch? And <laughs> it seems silly, but that engagement, not only does it keep retention, it's going to help you weed out people. It's going to help you find the person that the more you talk to me, you go, I'm not so sure about this guy. So, you know, there's a lot of unintended benefits of constant communication and, and making people know that you might be the place for them or you might not. So. I like that. No, that's good. That's good for in terms of practical takeaways. I think those are very uh, digestible nuggets to say the least. Yeah. So it's something so anybody it, can do. It, it, exactly. it, all that is free. There's no charge. It's just a little bit of work and a little bit of common sense. It's low hanging fruit. It's, it's, it's not hard, but it's not easy because you have to put the work in. But you're right, 100%. So I, I always ask the last couple of questions. Um, so usually I'm, I'm talking about a trait or something in terms of leadership. So as we think about this concept uh, and then talking about the leadership implications of it, from your perspective, what are your greatest traits of a leader in your perspective? That's a good question. So, yeah, and, you know, and the role that I've recently been put in, you know, overseeing operations, I, I think bad leadership can be exposed pretty quickly because you got the most the most eyes on you. So I've watched people along the way and I've already, you know, tried a few things on my own. And I think the biggest thing is honest communication. It's something I got from our fire chief when it comes to leader and I really – it's really one of the biggest nuggets that I've learned from him so far is, is under promise and over deliver. I think that's important for a leader because you remove one of the possible ways to attack your credibility and your word. So always try and deliver achievable expectations and allow yourself to exceed somebody's expectations versus always disappoint them. I think that's one thing that's important as a leader. I think secondly, you have to empower the people that are around you and below you, but make it very clear that with great empowerment comes great responsibility. Uh, I think once they know that there, there are consequences and there's great responsibility with that empowerment, they instantaneously make better decisions because they know the buck stops with them. I think if you work under an environment where you give a lot of empowerment and autonomy, but you're very lax on the accountability component, you're creating space for people to make a decision that they may, they may not want to make. Uh, you're setting a culture that trickles through the whole chain of command that it's okay to intentionally make a bad decision versus really making a good choice. And I think finally, there's a time and place to explain the why in leadership. And whenever that opportunity exists, I believe you should explain the why. So that whenever you don't have the time or it's inappropriate to explain the why, there's no question. People 
people keep a tally. And they're like, you know, Chief Pingle has been by a lot this year. And every time he comes with us, he sits down and he explains exactly why we're doing something. So we know it. So we believe in it so that we want to do it when nobody's watching. That way, when I come by for the ninth time, I said, I need this to get done. And I can't sit here and tell you why today, for whatever reason, you've eliminated the gray. They're like, you know what? If he could have told us, he would have told us. And this is clearly important because otherwise he would have sat and explained the entire thing to us. So you're building credibility in your leadership. Like we've talked about it in the past. Leadership equity is important. And I think that's a part of it. People feel yeah, like, like they're, they're valued if you take the time to give them the why when you can. I, I love that as we wrap up that, that idea of uh, explaining why when you have the opportunity. It's almost like you're sending a trend. You're, you're setting a trend in a positive way in terms of communication. And the, the, the benefit of that, among other things, is that by you doing that, by people, by fire chiefs, captains, leaders in the fire service communicating on the regular, that shows them and models what your expectations are for them to communicate. So it's a, it's a brilliant way to, to end what we're talking about here. So thank you for that. The last, last question I have here, and it's become one of my favorite questions, but uh, as we wrap this up, do you have any concerns about you know, what we're talking about when the fire service in general, in other words, what keeps you up at night these days? Hmm. Besides emails. <laughs> um, <laughs> what keeps me up at night? That's a good one. I, I think, I think I worry about our people being prepared for as much as possible and how they will respond when they have to handle something that we could never prepare them for. So you look at incidents that occur across the country, whatever it may be, from acts of terrorism to to fires that went the wrong way to, you know, walking in on, a, on an EMS call where a, a crew is confronted with six people down for, for a multitude of reasons. I, I, I always hope and I worry that we haven't given them enough general skills to be able to think on the fly and develop a new solution and a new skill to a problem. And that also, I think, comes from the, the, the much younger age of the current fire service with all the rapid turnover and growth of the fire service the percentage of young, less experienced, not inexperienced, but less experienced firefighters is becoming more and more. And then you look at our agency, which only began running EMS in the mid to late 90s as a, as a provider. You know, we have those leaving that really weren't even a part of EMS in the beginning. And all these new people coming in that are reaching the end of their career that were in the very beginning of EMS. I hope that the messages and the lessons are being passed on. But, you know, for me, I, I guess like I so said, the biggest thing is, are we providing them enough training holistically to give them a big enough tool chest so that when something comes across their plate that they've never seen, there's enough quick reference experience and opportunities to come to some form of a solution? Because there's no 10 one You know, we, we, we are, we are the, the catch-all. I watched a, a, a social media video was sent to me, I think just today actually, about what the fire service used to be to what it's become. Mm -hmm. It was just responding to fires back in the early 1900s. 
and then it was car accidents, and then it was EMS, and then it was hazardous materials and high angle rescue and cats in a drain and my my carbon monoxide alarm is going off and people trapped under the surface of water and we're dive rescuing. And before you know it, when it comes to public service and emergency mitigation, law enforcement handles law and we handle everything else. Everything else. How do you provide enough education for your firefighters to achieve that? And that's what keeps me up at night. Well, you and me both, as we both kind of continue our transition through this journey, man, it's one of the things that it, 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 we share that that thought in our minds about how do we do that? How do we prepare our people the best we can to do what we do on a daily basis? And even looking at our windows, looking at the construction, looking at what we deal with, looking at the high rises, looking at the streets, looking at the congestion, looking at the growth. It's, it's a constant thing on, on, on all of our minds. So that's that's a really good way to kind of wrap this up. And I'm glad we're wrapping it up there because that conversation could probably be like, the next like two, three hours of how do we do that at a, ho- a holistic level. But um, so a- as we wrap this up, um, so Chief Bingle, thank you for, for walking us through the article. Uh, thank you for following suit on a challenge that, that Chief Halton provided you and, and doing right by that and really giving everybody an idea of what can be done, some some tactical tips and deployable actions, some things that we all need to be looking at. Um, Again, this this presentation, this this podcast wasn't to brag about what Fort Lauderdale is doing, but we're one of many organizations that's taken this seriously. And not only do we want to do the best and find the right people, but we want to share what we've, we've learned and and work with our, our neighboring agencies from right next door to across the country. We want to make sure we are doing everything we can holistically to get the best people out there. So as we're as we're kind of closing off here, I will just review some of the things that we talked about here. And this was a good conversation. Uh, we went through uh, some of the more innovative things like hiring third parties and really knowing your HR directors and your HR uh, divisions and seeing if that's something that you maybe should be considering or whatnot. It seems to be for us, we're, we're walking through right now, we're learning a lot. We're seeing some positive metrics in the beginning, and it seems like it's something that we may continue. Um, in terms of we talked about static and dynamic advertising and social media and whatnot, and are you showing what your department does best? We're all different. All the fire departments across the country do something different. Are you highlighting what you do best? Are you highlighting your attributes? Yeah, you may not be New York City. You may not be San Diego. You may not be Fort Lauderdale. What are you good at? And what are you highlighting to make sure people know what they want to see about your agency and why they want to come over there? Um, We talked about hiring. And I love the way you broke it down, Garrett. You went into numbers and then the quality. And I think you did a really good job of defining kind of things that we're doing, at least internally, to kind of get the numbers first and then finding that quality. You know, we can teach skills all day. Are we finding the right people, the quality people? Um, we talked about retention and, and giving them purpose, you know, and that's huge. You know, why do you do things? Um, uh, you know, it, that we talked about the mentoring program and communication. We went off on a little tangent with the mentoring program and how important that is these days. And again, just that that offers out there, you know, if you want to talk about this more, uh, we're one of many organizations that has a program and we're constantly looking into it to see, is it working? I mean, we know it's working, but how do we further enhance to make it even that much more better? Um, they mentioned the collaboration between HR, which was huge. Uh, being honest with yourself, I thought that was a point in conversation, right? You're making sure that what you put out there is what you're actually doing. You know, the definition of integrity, that the words match the actions. And then finally getting into things like explaining why to your people and, and making sure they understand what they do. The why is really important. And, um, it, 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 I think that 
whether it's watching Simon, Simon Sinek's video on why or just having that just general understanding about what you do, it helps when you're bogged down with calls, when you're spending all this time in mandatory overtime, when you're running the, in the middle of calls at night and so on and so forth. Understanding the why is very important. So as we end this up, um, just as a reminder, uh, you know, this is uh, reflecting on the end of the year. Um, end of the year is coming. Uh, we talked about a lot of things here. We talked about the relationships and I started with gratitude. I want to end with gratitude, too. Uh, Chief Pingle, thank you for taking time to do this. Um, I think that what we've done here is a couple of things. We, one, we, we like to make sure that even in our own agency, people know what we're doing. Some, if you don't know, you don't what you don't know. And a lot of times people don't see behind the curtain of what you, Chief Biden, Chief Golan, and all the people in, in your realm are doing, plus HR, plus PD, to get the people here. But on a broader scale, in terms of our neighbors, our county, our region, the people across the country, we're all dealing with this. So we're all having a common goal to get the best people out there. And we're all dealing with this together. So the idea of helping each other out, having additional dialogues, continuing this discussion, this is what we're there for. We're working together to make sure we all are getting the best people out there. So that all being said, uh, Chief Bingle, thank you for taking the time to come out here and do this with me. I know we're all ridiculously busy. And I'll probably be yelled at for, for going over an hour here. Uh, but both of us are going back to work. Um, any final thoughts? <laughs> just, yeah, you, you really hit it on the head for me. I just think gratitude back to you for doing what you do with this, sharing knowledge and the service. You know, and one thing I'll say at the end here, I recently put out an email to the organization and I outlined to the operations division what, what defines what we do. And one thing I put was was value. And then I explained it as, returning from your 14th call at 3 a.m. and knowing you are exactly where you belong. And that's the currency I'm talking about. It's so important that people just need to feel that what they're doing is bigger than them and that they're not wasting their time. You know, don't make your organization service a waste of time. And I think uh, we'll all be successful. But thank you for, for what you're doing. Happy holidays to everybody out there. And, uh, Let's see what 24 brings. Absolutely. All right. So thank you all for listening. Once again, thank you for listening to the Perspective on Leadership podcast. Uh, like the, like we said, for a little more than a year now, uh, second Friday of the month uh, through Fire Engineering's pod, uh, through the, the web platforms. But um, thank you all for listening. You have a bunch of podcasts that are out there, some amazing podcasts that are out there. Uh, we try to design this for the listener. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've learned something from it. God bless. Have a wonderful end of 2023. Have an amazing beginning of 2024, and we will hope to see you out there soon. Have a blessed day. Take care, everybody. Thefirestore.com, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can make the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at thefirestore.com and shop our deals page. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com.